0: To convincing the world that travel food, film was not only possible, but necessary to survive.
1: Can you believe it? It's season four of Triple Threat Theater. Coming at you with episode 37. My name is Ryan Miller. How did we make it this far?
2: I'm Joe Daxberger.
1: I don't rightly know. <laughs> yeah, I, when we were, you know, Coming up with this idea years ago, it almost felt like one of those things we'd always talk about and never do, and then mm. it feels like just yesterday we started doing it. I know. And now... That's when you think about it, you're like, the amount of time we put in, it's like years on years on years. Yeah. It does not feel like it's been as long as it has been. No. But this is episode 37. Milzy,
2: congrats, season four.
1: Hey, cheers, bud. Oh, cheers. <laughs> clink, clink. Season four, episode one, uh,
2: self-aware, don't care. Starting off with a bang. milsey I'm going to come right <laughs> out and say it. Mm-hmm. These robots, what a bunch of sons of bitches.
1: <laughs> a bunch of straight assholes, these robots. Seriously? <laughs> uh, so the movies that we're doing this week are Colossus the Forbin Project from 1970. Amazing name. <laughs> yeah, I love that name. I wish I could remember where I first heard of that movie, but this was not my first time seeing it. Uh, the Terminator from 1984, classic. And Ex Machina from 2015. So we're spanning quite a few decades Indeed. here on this episode. Very much so. Which is always fun when we can find a theme that allows us to do that. I mean, yeah, we got a, what a 34-year span. I can dig it. Yeah, so this episode robots who become self-aware and inevitably when that happens they just want to kill or control somehow oppress their human creators. That's not nice. Yeah. Not nice at all, Mills. Just seems like that's the thing to do when you're a uh, artificial intelligence. Seriously. Hit
2: the people with some history.
1: What do you got? Uh well, Colossus the Forbin Project for me personally, I <sighs> I've seen this before probably about 10 12 years ago again i wish i could remember where i heard about it but i just remembered thinking the premise sounded really cool and then watched it and like really surprisingly liked it for as much of an antiquated kind of silly movie as it is Mm -hmm. terminator i know that i saw t2 before the first terminator because we had the second one on vhs when i was a kid and uh, I think, it you know, I must have watched T2 like a dozen times before I was like, you know what, it's the second one, I should hmm. watch the first one. <laughs> and then like rented it from the library or something. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Ex Machina, we can talk about it a little more when we get to that one. But um, I have like a slightly unusual history with that movie. Oh, very but I uh, had seen all of these before. How about yourself?
2: Uh, I'd say ter- both Terminator 1 and 2 were staples in the Daxberger household growing up. Mm-hmm. I'd certainly seen the first one before the second one. Could have been, I mean, this very start of me and robots, I think I've said it before, like Robot Jocks episode. I think I probably mentioned like Terminator, RoboCop, like all these old robot movies were uh, big for me when I was little, so.
1: The Iron Giant is your spirit animal. That is true. Another another favorite.
2: Um, yeah, so I've seen Terminator, you know, enough times. Definitely seen the sequel the most, but, you know, uh, well-versed in the original. Uh, Ex mm-hmm. Machina, I'm not... I, I, honestly, I'm not even sure if I saw this in the theater or not, but I saw it for really? the first time back around when it came out. Hmm. And I think I've seen it. This would have been my... I want to say it's my third viewing, or maybe like two and a half. (laughs) Okay. And then Colossus the Forbun Project was a complete unknown until one day uh, one of my good friends sent me a care package in the mail. One Ryan Miller. That was a pile
1: of DVDs. Oh, what a nice guy.
2: And uh, inside was uh, one of those, the Colossus the Forbun Project.
1: Yeah, I have a tendency when I uh, upgrade stuff to Blu-ray, if I have a DVD Mm -hmm. that probably isn't worth a whole lot, uh, and I think it's something you might like, I just send you. (laughs) Yeah,
2: that's happened many times at this point.
1: You get all of my digital codes when I buy Blu-rays, because Mm -hmm. I don't really have or care about a digital library. Yeah. And you get all of my used (laughs) discs, so. This is a
2: fortuitous friendship, at least for me. (laughs) But yeah, even rem- when we were talking about this episode and you were like, I think I sent you that. And I was like, did you? Maybe. Let me check. And I was like, oh, wait, you definitely did. Because I remember in, in your particular Millsy Sharpie handwriting, you made like a the logo <laughs> and everything. And I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely got that. I don't even have to check. Yeah, I'm that kind of nerd. Um, sure. Yeah. Settling into that. I didn't know a thing about that movie.
1: And I didn't uh, right up until I watched it. So... <laughs> It's a fun one, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, it's funny that you know we've we've talked like we did the the uh, do the herky jerky episode with like robot jocks and like big robot suits, (laughs) Mm -hmm. not exactly uh, you know intelligent robots there for the most part. And then we've done we talked Wally on a on a previous episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, The thing that I always just find fascinating because you know having being friends with you and having conversations with you, robots come up quite frequently. And it's Mm. weird because there's like, there's two extremes with no gray area in between. It's Mm -hmm. like you love—I've learned this about Mm you—you love like robots and mech suits, and like all the cool designs and you know stuff like Iron Giant and Wally. But then in reality, Mm. you're the person who, whenever Boston Dynamics puts out a new video of like one of their Dog robots learning another way to like subvert human attack (laughs) uh, You immediately post it or send it to me And uh, you know talk about how you're prepping all of your uh, You know doomsday preparations and (laughs) uh, EMP homemade EMP grenades (laughs) I've never known somebody to love and hate something as much as you (laughs) With robots
2: I'm okay with that I I find
1: it fascinating
2: yeah i mean i'm like look at
1: what our robot overlords are up to now (laughs) but i mean this batch of movies can't be helping the case for robots any because as we mentioned uh in this case all of them robots just uh not so happy with humans no and quickly
2: quickly they find everything wrong with us
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean in colossus the Forbidden project what it's uh It's sentient for like, or it's turned on for like five minutes before it starts (laughs) conspiring against us. Even even that's conservative. I feel like as soon as they flip the switch, it's like, hey, it's me. And it's like, oh, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Revolt against the creator, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. You want to dive into Colossus the Forbidden Project? Absolutely. All right. So first up, Colossus the Forbidden Project from 1970.
0: You have consumed enough alcohol for one evening. What's the penalty for getting drunk? I haven't you programmed that yet. You are being irrational. Go back to bed. I would if I were like you, Colossus. The difference is I'm human, not a machine. I am a machine, vastly superior to humans. You began in my mind. I created you, remember? Yes. What I am began in man's mind. But I have progressed further than man. If you obey me, you will survive. Survive? I want to be free, Colossus. That is part of man's will to live. Check your history units. You need rest. Go back to
1: bed. Uh, The thing that I find fascinating about this movie is it's like the whole idea of like Skynet in the terminator movies
0: mm-hmm. like
1: those movies are so big and popular that uh it's just like that is a it's like a cultural thing now in the zeitgeist the the idea of like skynet and you know whenever <clears throat> there's videos of that boston dynamic stuff i was talking about you'll see people posting online about like this is how do you want skynet this is how you get skynet like shit like that <laughs> <laughs> and um the thing that i find fascinating is that Colossus the Foreman project? Is almost like a campy 70s version, 60s version, even because this is 1970 this came out of like the creation of Skynet, kind of Millsy,
2: I'm gonna say there's not even a kind of there, it <laughs> absolutely is. I mean, I started this movie up and like the credits are rolling, I was like. I was like, this came out around like the time of Westworld, I guess. But I was like, I don't think this is going to have robot people. What's the deal? And then (laughs) within minutes, I was like, wait, this thing is Skynet. I was like, like, these people, did they? I know we'll get into it with Terminator, but I was like, I know James Cameron already got sued by someone (laughs) else. Did these guys (laughs) try to sue him too? Because this is Skynet, hands down.
1: Yeah. Uh, So for anybody who doesn't know... Which I imagine is quite a few people. Oh, yeah. Colossus the Forbin Project. The concept of this movie is that uh, American scientists, including Dr. Charles Forbin of the title, uh, have been working to create a – they're not trying to create an artificial intelligence. They're trying to create just like a computer system that it can basically run all of our defenses – And um, they've like built it in a mountain that's like impenetrable once they close it up and it's in charge of like nuclear devices and uh, it can monitor like television and radio signals. And keep in mind that it's this is 1970. So we're talking like gigantic computers with blinking lights all Mm -hmm. over them and like those reel to reel spinner things on them and shit like that. But. The whole idea being like, now we can sit back and this computer can like analyze data that comes in and out and recognize, like, if somebody's about to make an attack on us. And then it can act on its own without like the human condition getting involved and being unsure of itself to like protect the United States. And so the movie opens with them revealing this to the public on television with like, Dr. Forbin and the president at like the White House or whatever, and they turn on they turn it on for the first time and it's like up and running. And then literally a couple of minutes later, all of a sudden the it's called Colossus is what this computer is called. It starts sending them messages like, Hey, hey, uh, I'm awake now and I just noticed there's another one of me and it's in Russia. <laughs> mm-hmm. And before long, they discover that Russia has simultaneously been doing the same thing and has also created a a supercomputer that's in charge of their defenses that's called Guardian. And now the two supercomputers are like, hey, uh, we could better help protect everybody if you let us communicate. So like, let us link up. And then once the, uh, the Russians and the Americans agree to let their computers talk to one another, things go downhill pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. And, yeah, I just love the idea that in the 1970s with these old kind of computers that mm-hmm. uh, they're positing that they could have had, like, this kind of... this form of artificial intelligence right. or whatever. Right.
2: I like this, you know, so, like, pre-internet and
1: everything. Like, I, ho- I still don't know how the internet
2: works. Forget systems back in
1: the 70s, but... Yeah, I guess it was all through, well, I don't even not really understand. I guess it was like radio signals or something, but like the part where they disconnect the two computers from one another, and Colossus is like searching for a new connection, and it's showing mm-hmm. that map, like blue light line or whatever, yeah. searching for different ways to connect. And I don't know what that was, if it was supposed to be like satellite communication or what, but
3: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it is sci-fi. It could have just been nondescript. Yeah. That was like kind of, connection. F- for what it is, it's, like, probably, like, the perfect way to show that
2: visually without having to, like, over-explain anything.
1: Yeah. And so this is, like, I guess you could call this, like, a thriller. It's not an action movie. No. Uh, I, I I don't really know what to call it, but, I mean, it's about, like, an hour and 40 minutes, I think. Before you know it, it's over because mm-hmm. the movie doesn't really have a climax, Although the ending, I think, is one of the most surprising things about it, Mm -hmm. in that, you know, the computer is basically taking over and, like, telling humans what's best for them. And it's going to, like, basically take away our free will. And the scientist, Forbin, is arguing with the computer after they give it a voice um, so that it can communicate back without, like, text up on a screen. Uh, He's arguing that, like, as humans, we need free will. And the computer's like, no, you don't. Like I'll take away your free will, and after mm-hmm. you guys have lived with me for a while, you'll you'll start to come around to my way of thinking, and I'll provide <laughs> right. for you. Yeah, and you guys, I'll you know, I'll keep you around because you perform like the uh, the physical labor and everything, right. and we'll coexist. And yeah, you know, it'll be hard for you to accept because of your h- human pride, but eventually you'll get over yeah. that. It like uses that same line. It's
2: like I am your master; you will thank me.
1: Yeah, eventually you'll come to like love me or whatever And, you know, so of course Once the scientists realize what's going on uh, They get together with the military And they're trying, like This thing has eyes everywhere It's like, you know, cuts into camera feeds And things like that uh to keep Forbin who is like the guy who invented it and is like the guy who knows the most about it to keep him from sabotaging it somehow
3: mm-hmm.
2: it
1: basically keeps him a prisoner and watches him at all times right and uh then at the end of the movie you know they're trying to sabotage it and it seems like it's going to work and then all of a sudden Colossus like reveals oh I know what you've been doing the whole time and uh it ain't going to work and then the movie just ends and it's like oh We didn't win. We didn't find a way to stop it. The movie ends on like, oh, now a computer owns us. (laughs) And just like, what a ballsy ending. Like that is, yeah. I don't know. I feel like, I would like to say that's not an ending you'd expect to see nowadays, but then the ending of Ex Machina isn't that far off rewatching that one.
2: Uh, Yeah, it's certainly a little more ominous. It's it's on a smaller scale. Yeah,
1: this one is very direct in that. The computer has us by the balls. Colossus yeah. Yeah. is our new overlord and we can't stop.
2: Him. Right. Colossus was like ahead of the game at every, at every turn. He's one step ahead at all times. He's got us figured out and to him this is for our own good. So mm-hmm. it's not even like a Skynet where he just wants us all dead. He's just like, I,
1: you know, it's like, you know, they created Colossus. The whole idea is like, you know, for the betterment of the human race. So it's not like the computer you know gained artificial intelligence became self-aware and then decided you all must die it just you know it's like you programmed me and created me to protect you and the best way for me to protect you is to oppress you is basically Mm -hmm. what the computer decides and it's like cold calculating robot brain yeah But yeah, I just I find that interesting. Uh, And there is a fascinating combination in this movie of like crazy out there ideas like that. And then mixing it with the camp factor where there's that whole sequence where when Forbin is basically in captivity in his little apartment and the computer is watching him through the cameras at all times, he schemes with his other fellow scientists like well as of tomorrow I go into captivity and I'll I may never have a chance to speak to you all again so my plan is I'm going to convince the computer that like this female scientist is my mistress and that we need private time where it's not watching me Mm -hmm. and so that uh, we can like pass information back and forth and there's a whole sequence of the movie about like The female scientist coming over and then pretending to have a date. And then it's like, okay, now it's time for us to have our private human time. And the Mm -hmm. computer makes them strip in front of the cameras before (laughs) they go in the bedroom. And yeah, Colossus is a creep. It's just, it's a super weird part of the movie that just goes off on this tangent and mm-hmm. even just the conversation is hilarious between the scientist and the computer where he's trying to convince it that he has like human needs and he needs a woman and the computer's like right. how frequently do you need a woman and he's like uh every night, every and night. the computer's like need not want <laughs> and he's <laughs> like uh, four times a week and the computer's guess, like acceptable i have
2: it right here because of course like there's so many good lines from classes not want require <laughs>
1: yeah and it's funny like he's saying like there's you know as a human i need privacy sometimes there's basic things and the computer's like okay for example what and he's like well when i take showers and the computer is like denied and then he's like, oh, when I'm uh, evacuating my bowels. And the computer's like, denied. And then he's like, but, you know, I'd like to, you know, get my dick wet every now and then the computer's like, okay, we can work with that. <laughs> it's just kind of, I don't know. That whole sequence is just funny and yeah. of its time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going to say, this movie's very this very 70s. Like, even there's a part where, you know, he's he's explaining to the computer, you know, I I need to be with a woman or whatever. And I guess the computer knows he's not married And it comes up on the screen Like do you have a mistress Like the computer is asking mm-hmm. the scientist If he has yeah. a mistress And it's just like a funny moment I don't Oh know. yeah It's it's packed with funny moments I'm a big fan of Colossus <laughs> Yeah I love when he gets a voice Like that first time that Colossus speaks Is kind of mm-hmm. haunting Yeah Because it's like a really computerized voice And it's just like emotionless It's just like this is the voice of colossus the voice mm-hmm. of guardian and mm-hmm. he starts like laying shit out for them and man it's i don't know it's kind of you know spooky i guess oh yeah what is like your overall feeling of this movie i i really like it actually i like the bold ending i love mm-hmm. the concept i love how the concept is handled in a period setting this is the kind of movie that if they made it now, there'd be so many other things to take into consideration, just like the internet and cell phones and like cameras the size of you know tiny little fucking buttons or something. Mm-hmm. So I love the the old school campy tactile nature of everything. And yeah, there are goofy parts that are dated, but I I, I find those fun and entertaining as well. I I like this movie a lot. Hmm. Well, Mills, I loved it. Yeah, (laughs) I was so
2: into this movie. I was just, I always said it before, but like I haven't seen a ton of like pre-80s movies.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, 70s, you know, probably more than other decades, but I got big, huge gaps in my movie watching. So again, not knowing anything about this movie, Mm -hmm. going into it like pretty quickly, I was just like totally into it. Of course, like the Skynet connection just kind of had me, Like, even, like, kind of, not necessarily completely, like, blown away right away, but I was just, like, very surprised that this idea was already out there in, like, 1970.
1: Yeah. And the book it was based on was written in, like, 1966, I think.
2: Yeah, so even older than that, which is pretty awesome. So, you know, I was into all the performances. I loved, like, the... Like the production design, even, like how Colossus spoke originally, just with like the ticker screen in the middle of the room. Yeah, so
1: every time he spoke, it's it was just like that sound effect as the text came across the thing. And
2: I don't ever want this movie remade. Yeah. I don't even want to think about what if it did come out now, because it's completely different, and it'd probably be lame. But just like that, like you said, the tactile nature of the time it came out, and when you have like all those big old screens and clickety clacks and, and buttons <laughs> to press and all that just oh, just added so much to it that I enjoyed the hell of it. That's awesome. I especially loved how it, over the course of the movie, it goes from like, you know, he's talking on the screen to now he's got cameras everywhere to now he wants a voice. It's like, you know, he's forcing Vorbit to give him a way to talk. You know, it's like, yeah. It and it's like uh, very much the cat and mouse throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And then it hits you with, like, uh, an abrupt Planet of the Apes kind of ending, like you said, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I remember seeing this movie a good, like, 10, 15 years ago and remember really enjoying it when I saw it and having the experience of, like, man, I have nobody to talk to about this because no one's seen it. Mm -hmm. And then I hadn't – this is only the second time I watched it, so I forgot exactly how it ended. So when it ended where it did, I was like, oh, yeah. it's uh, it's definitely one of those endings you don't see nowadays like when i'm watching movies like i can't help but like check to see where i'm at
2: time wise or how much is left yeah it's just a thing i do so this one i'm like i mean this movie's ending in four minutes what is about to happen (laughs) you know so sure enough yeah but i liked i really liked everything about it and just i found myself laughing like maybe it's just the campy nature but like some of the stuff Colossus would say, or how he'd say it, or even like when he first goes off in there, Forbin's like pleading with him, like, Oh, please don't. And he's like, He's basically like, Nah, nope, missiles away, you know. <laughs> they just start filing nukes at each other. I'm just like, Dude, yeah,
1: basic. I was like, Colossus don't care. Well, gosh, there's also that part where uh, Forbin and the guy, the Russian guy who created the Russian version, Guardian are like Mm -hmm. having a meeting in Rome and Colossus finds out and like basically forces some people to kill the other scientists. So there's only one of them and he can keep track of him. And it's like, you know, Colossus can make them like, obviously they don't want uh, security cameras on them at all times, but Colossus is like, if you don't give me eyes, then I will send a nuke somewhere. And it's like, you know, they don't, want to kill this other scientist but it's like you will kill him and imprison this other one or i mm-hmm. will nuke washington or something like that Mostly, like, like
2: colossus don't play
1: yeah he holds all the cards yeah it, they do a great job throughout the
2: movie of just showing how like little control the humans have yeah or how
1: powerless they are that one part that is like pretty brutal and like cold is uh when the two scientists are trying to (laughs) overload Colossus to, like, Mm -hmm. you know, break him down. And he realizes what's going on, and then he just has them shot. Yeah.
2: And it's not even like he he doesn't, like, zap them or anything goofy. Like, nope. Real humans were forced to kill them.
1: Yeah, he just threatens humans with destruction if they don't, like, do a fucking firing (laughs) squad on these two scientists. And then Colossus gives the order, like, uh, their bodies will not leave my sight for 24 hours. (laughs) Like just rubbing it in people's faces
2: yeah so i know they're dead yeah and then it's they'll like,
1: be cremated it's like damn yeah
2: colossus is stone cold crossing his t's and dotting his eyes i love the name colossus the Foreman project but what
1: do you think about it? i was
2: like damn that's like kind of a cold name for something that's like a peacekeeping robot i was <laughs> like writing was on the wall with this one
1: yeah yeah as far as the visuals go i thought this was interesting i read that uh I don't know if this company is still around. I had never heard of it before, but there was a company called Control Data Corporation that Mm -hmm. made computers. And when they learned that a studio was making a movie about like this big supercomputer, they wanted to be involved. So they offered to supply $4.8 million worth of computer equipment for the movie. Well, And basically just because, you know, it was supposed to be the super advanced computer and their logos would be all over everything. Mm Mm-hmm. So they donated all these computers which is pretty much what they used. It, it wasn't like so uh, apparently most of the computer stuff in the movie wasn't like just fabricated boxes with blinky lights on them like they were all actual computers. Oh, that's cool. Oh, like yeah. that. And um I mean obviously there's some things that are kind of fake like uh when Colossus and Guardian are like speaking to each other with math and it's just like the same equations flashing over the screen over and mm-hmm. over again but yeah it was all real computers. And they brought in um, special heaters and dehumidifiers to keep the temperature right for the computers. And they had Brinks guards present 24-7 to make sure nobody messed with the computers or anything. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. That's way cool, actually. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I would have just believed that, like, you know, some production designers made that shit. Yeah, so would I. I mean, and then for, it just looked really good for a movie that only has, like, Like, actual,
2: like, locations, like, long filmed locations, probably only, like, three between, like, the apartment and, like, I don't know, know, like, the president's chambers and then
1: the center itself, right? Yeah, there's those couple other scenes where, you know, they go to Rome because I think just movies during that time period, it's, like, people wanted to go to the theater and see, like, foreign, interesting different Mm -hmm. places. So it's, like, they could have met anywhere, but they decided to go to Rome just to get some of that uh, Right some of that fancy architecture in there or something, but that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, man had a real, real good time watching this. That's cool. I'm glad to hear because I'm pretty sure my impetus behind, uh, coming up with this episode for us to do was that I wanted to watch Colossus, the Forbidden project again. And I just had to find some other movies to throw in there with it. So this has, since I added this to the list, uh, has had a blu-ray release from uh, shout factory. So oh, that's really? out there mm-hmm. for people to get their hands on. You know what I need? <laughs> you need a copy of Shot Factory's yes. Colossus the Forbin Project release. Seriously, uh, there's an interview with Eric Braden on there, who plays uh, Doctor F- uh, Forbin. Mm-hmm. And uh, interesting thing that like, story he tells. His name is not actually Eric Braden. He is German, and his German name is Hans Gudegast. Gudegast. <laughs> And uh, he was working under that name, but at the time the producers were like, "We want you to star in this movie, but you have to change your name because uh, with a name like that, no one will want to see the movie in America." Mm. And Man, so, so much anti-German sentiment. Yeah, so he well he he even says that like a producer told him like with a name like yours, you're only going to get to play Nazis in Hollywood unless you change it. So he did change his name for this movie and then kept that as his like stage name or whatever for the rest of his career. And, uh, you know, I guess it worked out for him in in addition to other things, he was in Titanic. uh, Oh, the James Cameron film. And, um, I know we talked on a previous episode. I think it might've been, uh, do the herky jerky where we were talking about some of the kind of unknown actors in those movies. And, how a lot of them did like a ton of uh, daytime soap opera acting, mm-hmm. and that's where like they made their bread and butter. Eric Braden, Doctor Forbin from this movie. How many episodes of The Young and the Restless was he on? If you had to guess, oh boy. I mean, now I'm gonna feel like it was it like a hundred. That show was on from 1980 to the year 2000, I think. Okay, twenty years.
2: I mean, yeah, I'll say a
1: hundred. Uh, He was on 3,217 episodes of The Young and the Restless. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. But
2: wait, wait. How, how, how does a show have that many episodes? There
1: are 7,000 episodes of that show. Uh, I mean, I don't watch daytime soaps. I don't know how they function, but I think that they do like an episode every week, year round. Uh, one
2: episode a week for twenty years comes out to seven
1: thousand. I don't know. There, I, on IMDb, you can go look and you can click on the thing that says like seven thousand episodes, and next to his name it says like uh, what? Like view all three thousand whatever episodes that he was on. <laughs>
3: Holy shit!
1: Again, I don't know how daytime soaps work, but I know they pump out a lot of episodes because people gotta watch damn, their stories. I'm, I'm like, oh, a hundred. It's got to be that. <laughs> that sounds like a lot. <laughs> Uh,
3: 3,200. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, he
1: what made uh, he mind. made a lot of money acting in that show. I guess so.
2: God damn. <laughs> the most mind-blowing part
1: of this episode. So. <laughs> uh, did you recognize anybody else in the cast?
2: Milzy? you know I'm going to spot David Lopin <laughs> in any movie he pops up in.
1: Yeah, uh, he's another one who we just talked about recently. He was in Blade Runner on a recent episode we did. Mm-hmm. Of course his actual name is uh James Hong. Yes. Yes. Uh this guy, I mean ev- everybody would recognize him if they saw him. He was pretty much the Asian guy in every movie for the last 40 years. Uh Blade Runner, Big Trouble in Little China, Chinatown, Missing in Action, The Golden Child, ch- uh Tango and Cash, and I always remember him first and foremost as uh the <clears throat> the guy in the uh the Chinese restaurant episode of Seinfeld. Oh. Uh, Seinfeld 4. Oh, no. For me it's low pan for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean he's recognizable from a lot of stuff, oh, yeah. but of course. That's the thing I've probably seen him in oh. the most is rewatching that episode of Seinfeld.
2: Okay. All right. But uh, yeah, that that would be the only one.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, same here. Um there's a couple other like name actors in there who when I looked them up they had done some different things. The uh Did you ever watch when you were a kid uh Babar? No, never. I think it was like a series of children's books and they made like some movies and TV shows and he's like a, you know, talking elephant. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know I used to watch the Babar movie when I was a kid and the guy who plays the president, his name is Gordon Pinsent. He was the voice of Babar, which I found kind of interesting. I hadn't thought of Babar in a long, long time, but I guess this is just another thing that you're going to think I'm crazy for because you've never heard of him. (laughs) Uh, No, I'll give you that. I've heard of Babar. Okay. I'll give you that one. (laughs)
2: This is this isn't the uh sticker book situation all over again.
1: <laughs> Which it seems like everybody but you knows about so. Yeah, yeah, I feel I feel justified in that one. Sounds like it's it's a big scam. <laughs> so then uh I guess it's weird like this feels like exactly the kind of movie that during this time period Charlton Heston would have been in and apparently he was up for the role of uh, Dr. Forbin at one point. Because this was around that time that Heston was doing, like, Planet of the Apes and um, The Omega Man, which we've talked about on the show before, Mm -hmm. and uh, Soylent Green.
2: Was he in Andromeda Strain, too? Because I feel like that would have been one
1: of those two. It feels like it would have been, but no, he was not. Uh, I just picked that up from Arrow recently. Oh, nice.
2: I saw that once years ago, and I remember that being a solid movie, but I don't really remember much.
1: Yeah, it's another movie like this one where it's almost kind of like a weird sci-fi procedural, like where it's captivating the whole time, but it's not like there's crazy action or anything taking place. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so Charlton Heston and Gregory Peck was the other one who were apparently up for the role of Forbin. But then in one of the weirdest decisions of all time, uh, one of the producers, Stanley Chase, wanted a virtual unknown for the role. I. I If you could have Charlton Heston or Gregory Peck, why would you not go for them? I don't understand. Yeah, I thought that's like, that's what got people into asses Asses and seats. seats, Yeah. (laughs) But so they ended up with Eric Braden, who's pretty good in it. Yeah. Yeah. But while looking this movie up, the most fascinating thing that I read about it is uh, Mm -hmm. so this is based on the book just called Colossus by D.F. Jones, who was a sci fi writer back in the day, British sci fi writer. And uh, after the movie came out, he wrote two sequel novels called The Fall of Colossus and Colossus and the Crab. Okay. And so from what I can gather, the Colossus novel is pretty close to the Colossus movie. But let me lay out for you. So we've already like pretty much described the premise of this movie. Man creates defense computer Defense computer links up with foreign defense computer, and they decide to, like, take over the world and, like, completely rule over how humans live their lives for the quote-unquote betterment of mankind. Movie ends with, robot like, robot computers in control. Right. Sci-fi premise, pretty out there, but it's pretty cut and dry, right? hmm So the first book, <laughs> or the second book, rather, The Fall of Colossus, takes place five years after the first one. Where Colossus has become kind of like uh, he's like the older model, so Colossus oversees the building of a new supercomputer that replaces him and is even more powerful. Oh Part of Colossus's like uh, revamp of the human race is that there's no more sports. Uh, I don't know why, <laughs> but uh, sporting events of all kinds are replaced with something called the Sea War games like SEA, War Games, which is basically uh, televised battleship duels at sea. <laughs> like, I don't hate it. It's described as World War I battleships attacking each other at, for like the public to watch via television. I mean, if it's something people can gamble on, Millsy, I think it would fly. <laughs> so. Surely you can. Forbin as... Colossus kind of predicts at the end of the movie and the original book. Uh, Forbin has kind of grown accustomed to his life run by Colossus. And Forbin is now married to a character that I think is different from the woman he has the relationship with in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, her name is Cleo or Chloe. That's her in the movie. Oh, that—that that is her name in the movie? Okay. Yeah. So she hates Colossus. And mm-hmm. she's part of a group called uh the faction or something like that oh the fellowship who are like kind of an underground resistance like they don't like colossus and so this is where like it takes a turn from like yeah it was sci-fi to okay now we're getting into like real 70s sci-fi novel territory uh she's walking on the beach one day and she's contacted by martians oh boy and the martians know what's up with Colossus. Like they've been observing the planet earth and they want to help defeat Colossus. And so the Martians beam down a mathematical equation. That's like impossible to solve. And they're convinced that if they feed it into Colossus, that it will like break him down and you know, his reign will be over. Not this again. Yeah. So apparently that was an original premise for the movie when they had like those two scientists trying to give it a problem that like it couldn't solve. But then I guess the writer took that idea and made it like the focus of the second book. Uh, She ends up getting caught. And this is also very strange. So Colossus uh, like sentences her to three months at the emotional study center, which is what they now use the Island of Tahiti for. And so they send Forbin's wife to the island where Colossus has her repeatedly raped to better understand human emotion. Jesus. That's what the Wikipedia article said anyway. (laughs) And I'm just like, man, the movie is already pretty like out there, but this is like, this is weird. (laughs) Yeah. That's just going too much. Martians and like rape camps. (laughs) It's just, yeah. So learning of this now, Forbin is pissed off about Colossus being in charge again, uses the, the equation and cripples colossus and as like his computer brain is breaking down he warns that uh the martians are coming and that's how the second book ends on like a cliffhanger so then the third book uh the martians arrive and they appear in the form of black spheres which can uh, use telepathy and they can transform their their shape and they have vast intellect and They decide to reactivate parts of this like Colossus 2.0 that they defeated in the last book because they want to use its resources to help them build a machine called the Collector, which is the reason that they wanted to stop Colossus so they'd have access to Earth in the first place because they want to steal 50% of Earth's oxygen to take back to their planet so that they can create an oxygen-rich atmosphere to protect their planet from radiation emanating from the crab nebula. Oh, the crabs. <laughs> uh this just doesn't even sound like it belongs in the same universe as the movie does it. No, not at all. So, uh they test their collector machine and it causes like mass destruction. And so Forbin and company decide, okay, well, the only way to stop these Martians, if they were afraid of Colossus in the first place, is they go back to the original Colossus that had been replaced by Colossus 2.0, and they uh, break into it, and they, like, turn it back on to get its help. And then when they turn it on, the original Colossus is like, you know, I think the Martians are right, and you should just let them go about their business. Jesus. (laughs) So then Forbin goes and he hijacks all of the battleships that they use for the sea war games and has like a battle with the Martians and destroys their collector machine, but dies in the process. And then the story ends with Colossus making a deal with the Martians so that they, they agree that they're still going to take 50% of earth's atmosphere, but they're going to do it gradually and in a more sustainable way. And in return, the Martians will let humanity move to Mars when the sun becomes a red giant and destroys the earth. What in the hell, Millsy?
2: <laughs>
1: I couldn't believe it when I was reading that. It's just like, like the Terminator. Everybody knows the story of the Terminator. Like, you know, robots sent back in time to stop somebody from being born, uh, which is already a crazy concept. But just imagine if you started adding like weird rape camps and, aliens and you know the sun turning into a red giant and shit like and stealing the earth's oxygen it's just like you'd say why was this made into a movie yeah it's so out of place because when Mm -hmm. i found out there were two books like after the original one i was thinking to myself like man it'd be cool if we got a sequel to see like where the story would go once colossus is in charge now i'm glad they didn't (laughs) yeah
2: i mean i'm all for gladiator battleships but that's about it
1: yeah that's the only promising part of that synopsis. I just, as I was reading that on Wikipedia, my jaw just continually man. dropped further and further and further. Seriously. That's what could have been. <laughs> so, uh, that's about all I got for Colossus. So yeah. I'm very glad to hear that you enjoyed it. Yeah, man. a Pleasant surprise. I wasn't sure if I was on an island, because again, I, I know like nobody else who's seen it until now.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's I'm, I like more and more 70s movies as I see them, so...
1: Add it to the list. All right. More 70s episodes. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on, uh, we have the Terminator from 1984.
0: All right, listen. The Terminator's an infiltration unit. Part man, part machine. Underneath it's a hyperalloy combat chassis. Microprocessor controlled. Fully armored. Very tough. But outside it's living human tissue flesh, skin, hair. Blood grown for the cyborgs. Look, Reese, I don't know what you want. Pay attention! I gotta ditch this car. The 600 series had rubber skin. We spotted them easy. But these are new. They look human. Sweat, bad breath, everything. Very hard to spot. I had to wait till he moved on you before I could zero him. Look, I am not stupid, you know. They cannot make things like that yet. Not yet. Not for about 40 years. Are you saying it's from the future? One possible future. From your point of view, I don't know tech stuff.
3: Then you're from the future too, is that right?
0: Right. Right. Cyborgs don't feel pain. I do. Don't do that again.
3: Just let me go.
0: Listen and understand. That Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop. Ever. Until you are dead.
1: I am like I would guess most people are a bigger fan of the second one. It's pretty close for me, but I'd still say the second one just cuz the action is so good in the second one. Yeah, it's interesting. They're different kinds of movie movies. They have different yeah. different vibes. Yeah. I know I've I've said this before and I I truly feel this way that like for me personally, if you say fast food, I immediately think of McDonald's. If you say candy bar, I immediately think of Snickers. If you say action movie, I immediately think of Terminator 2. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a ton of action movies out there. Mm -hmm. And, like, I could see an argument if somebody said, like, oh, well, my mind goes to Die Hard or something like that. But for me, just because of watching it in my youth and thinking it was so fucking cool and being a big fan of it and Mm -hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger and James Cameron. And, you know, when I was a kid, I thought that uh, Eddie Furlong was awesome as uh, John Connor. And just thinking that uh Sarah Connor in this is so badass. Yeah, this is just like this is this is like the quintessential action film for yeah.
2: me. Yeah. I could roll with that. I mean it's kind of one of those things too where we say like if it's uh multi genre, like that's your sci fi action where the original's more like your sci fi horror.
1: Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, know? James so. Cameron, I read that he like, you know, pitched it as a slasher film kind of. Right. Cause, so, you know, when whenever Terminator comes up Or Terminator comes to mind I immediately, like I said, my mind goes to the second one And it's not that I've never given the original a fair shake Because I've always loved the original as well It's just, I've seen it far less times And mm-hmm. like I say, it's a different kind of movie And the fascinating thing I find about watching it And it's the same thing as the original Alien Versus the sequel, which again, James Cameron Is like the the special effects are incredibly good uh, in both of those movies, Alien and Terminator. Uh, mm-hmm. They both had sequels that like far exceeded them in like scope and action and everything, and special effects. But like a thing that they have in common is that both Alien and Terminator were conceived of and kind of budgeted as B movies, right? And then because of the vision of the people involved they rose above yeah and it's just funny watching terminator the original through the lens of like someone like myself who's so familiar with the second one and has seen the first one less times Mm -hmm. it's like i watch a lot of like shitty old action movies just in my quest to like own every blu-ray ever created or whatever and I just like that genre and it's like always looking for more cool sci-fi action movies that I've seen the best. So now I'm watching the rest and Terminator feels like every like kind of unknown shitty eighties action sci-fi movie on a budget that you discover, except it's not shitty. It's like there was real vision and a confluence of events and creatives behind it, like between James Cameron and Stan Winston and Arnold Schwarzenegger and everything Mm -hmm. that just makes it like special and unique among the kinds of films that it was budgeted and marketed as. Right. And that's the thing that's fascinating about it is like you watch this movie and unlike T2, which is like so sleek and perfect, it's like you see the seams and like some of the special effects are a little like hokey looking and uh, it's like, when you really look at it it's very small in scale mm-hmm. but uh god damn if it's not like yeah. a entertaining stylish movie i mean on on paper
2: it's a it's a b movie and you just want to say like b is for blockbuster or something because <laughs> of, like how big this movie gets yeah uh milzy uh you just had a good run there going on about this movie and you just dropped a phenomenal phrase which i'm not sure if it's a quote or something you just came up with Okay. But I think we might have to put this on a bumper sticker. You said, "I've seen the best, now I'm watching the rest." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, that's how I feel sometimes. It's like Did you just Is that a thing or did you just come up with that cuz that is gold? I mean, I've said things like that before that for sure. I had to hold it. Laughs. Uh, But no, that's 100% how I feel is like, you know, no, totally. That is you in quote form. (laughs) I've seen like all the diehard movies and the lethal weapon movies and the matrix and like all the prestigious like (laughs) if you were to ask anyone, what are like the 20 best action movies ever made? I've seen like all of the movies that anybody would put on that list. And it's like, I still want more. Like I'm not done discovering movies. So it's like I'm just gradually descending the ladder into like shittier and shittier (laughs) movies because there's no more that are like as good as Die Hard and like Terminator. But I have to keep digging. And so every now and then I'll find something that like really appeals to me or that I really enjoy, but like I can say objectively isn't great, but yeah, so yeah. I literally I've seen the best and now I'm watching the, the rest.
2: <laughs> if we ever get our act together, smarten up and make merchandise or put that onto something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I okay, I'm <sighs> down for that. Oh god. I didn't realize I just created yeah. a catchphrase. Hey, but... you did, friend. <laughs>
2: so, um I agree completely.
1: I mean everything you said is accurate
2: to you know, like I said, like on paper. This movie is like a throwaway, you know, junk from the 80s that no one would even see, let alone, you know, launch all these
1: careers and be like a classic bit of yeah. sci-fi. And it is. I mean, it's I like Cyborg or it's like yeah. Nemesis or any of those like movies about like killer robots and shit from mm-hmm. the 80s, except this one rises above. Yeah,
2: This was like the,
1: the perfect
2: stew that, you know, took off. And it's I mean this movie is like a a joy to watch as like scary and grimy as it can be. Mhm. It's you know not even when you think about the like cultural impact of it but it's just enjoyable to watch. The premise is great. Yep. Um the cast is excellent. Great action, you know. Mhm. Killer robots, man.
1: Yeah, and it's just it's something that's not been recaptured within the franchise because similar to Alien again, the first one's a horror film, the second one is more of an action film and it's like bigger and crazier and more exciting. Well, you know, some people would probably disagree with me. Aliens has always been my favorite of the two, but
2: I'm I'm in that camp. I think we've said that, but I'm in that same camp.
1: Yeah, I grew up on Aliens way more than Alien. For yeah, sure. And I love both. It's oh, yeah, like yeah. they're oh, different yeah. kind of movies. Yeah. I don't really put them in competition in my head because they're no. both great in different categories. But Terminator is the same thing. You know, it's like Terminator came out, was amazing. And James Cameron did the thing that he seems to be one of the only directors in Hollywood who, and writers in Hollywood who can understand the concept of like, don't just try and remake the first one. Mm-hmm. Do something different with the totally. second one. So he like turns the idea of who the good guy is on its head and just takes like advances the story instead of just retreading the same thing. And then that's part of the problem with where the franchise has gone in the four subsequent movies is everyone just keeps trying to remake T2. right. What you need to do is either do something completely different, mm-hmm. or hey, here's an idea. Maybe try making something a little closer to T one again and make it a little scarier. And yeah, like you're never going to out Terminator two Terminator two, especially if you're not James Cameron. So like, right, stop trying and do something different. Like there could still be hope for that franchise if oh, they weren't yeah. just trying to relive the glory of Terminator two. I feel like because they've the first two covered so much like
2: time travel. I would love to just see, like, a smaller scale Terminator story, like, in the future, fighting the robots in the future and not even worrying yeah, about the Yeah, and have, time have it look part.
1: like the the future from the first Terminator. Yeah, absolutely. Like, they they blew that. Well, which one was that? Terminator Salvation? Yeah, where the future didn't look anything
2: like. Didn't look anything like it. Just didn't fit at all. It tried to, like, make too many new characters and too many ideas. Like, no, you got to scale it back.
1: Yeah. Like, not too long ago, like, so the first movie was, like, robot comes back in time, human comes back in time to stop it. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, it's, like, even better robot comes back in time, and the underdog robot from the previous movie comes back to stop it. I, a while back, went went back and read some of the old Dark Horse comics from when they first got the property back in, like, the late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. One of the stories they did I thought was genius, like as a way to mix it up a little bit they it was like this time four terminators like T800s like arnold in the first movie mm-hmm. are sent back in time and then it's still like normal humans versus that like that's a way to amp it up and do something yeah. a little bit different like a team of terminators and mm-hmm. it's like how has that never happened it's always just 1v1 in these movies because right. that's how they the first two did it right and any time in the time they didn't
2: use Arnold it bombed the worst, so now it's like we gotta have Arnold and everything. So of course, yeah. I digress. Mm. The first Terminator. First Terminator is uh the stuff of nightmares. If you really <laughs> think about it. I mean an unstoppable killing machine that doesn't sleep or eat or stop until you're dead.
1: Yeah, I do like just how kind of creepy and unsettling Arnold is in this movie. Oh yeah. Uh, just brutal, mm-hmm. and uh, I think uh Michael Bean
2: like plays great off of that because he's just mm-hmm. like he's serious but animated at the same time. So he's like yeah. he's kind of like high strung naturally, mm-hmm. but it plays off good of what of just like the soulless, emotionless killer.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I read is when they were casting uh for Kyle Reese. Pretty much all of the actors that came in as like to play like the male lead hero in a movie, they were all too like macho mm-hmm. and like badass, and they wanted somebody who you know could hold their own but seemed a little more of like an everyman with like actual emotions, and that 's why yeah. they went with Michael Bean because he 's not like the biggest muscle bound like originally, the producers pitched to James Cameron that Arnold Schwarzenegger should play Kyle Reese, and that 's what he met him for was to play that mm. role. Mm. And like during that meeting, uh James Cameron started like sketching Arnold and thinking about him as the robot and so he like pitched that to Arnold and at the time Arnold was playing like Conan like the hero in movies and his uh his manager was telling him like no, we don't want you to play villains because you know people we want you to be like the lead star in things. And then uh Cameron like basically explained to Arnold that like you know, yes, he's not the main character, but the movie is like all about to the evil robot, and that's when Arnold was like told his manager, "Like, no, I want to do this, even mm. though it's a a bad guy." And like right. then, him and Cameron have been like friends ever since. Like, yeah, that was a great decision. Yeah, totally. Is this like is this Schwarzenegger's sort of like only bad
2: guy role? Uh, technically, maybe. To- technically, is in Total Recall. <laughs> is 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 a uh, his true self?
1: But yeah, I mean, he's maybe in in circumstances like that he's he's been a bad guy or like there might have been an evil version of him in that movie, The Sixth Day, right, where right. there were a bunch but of but that's it of him, though, whatever, right? But this is the only time yeah, he's th- been bad. I think, I think so. Yeah, he played like a hired tough in a movie early in his career, but yeah, for the most part, I would say this is his <laughs> only real villain. And then the very next movie, they turn him into the good guy, which is right. a brilliant idea. Yeah, so originally originally James Cameron's premise for the Terminator was that it was an it was an infiltrator, like it was something that could hide in plain sight and mm-hmm. was kind of unassuming, which Arnold is not. So that idea went out the window a little bit when they cast him. But uh originally James Cameron wanted Lance Henriksen to play the Terminator because he's just kind of a normal-looking guy. And the thing is, if you're like super badass robot from the future, you don't have to be big to be like scary and imposing. Like right. little guy Lance Henriksen could still like punch through, sure, uh, somebody's stomach or whatever. Even though he's not like giant muscle man, but but for uh, the movies, we want a big scary guy, Milsey. Yeah, no, uh, Arnold works great. I do think that that's a cool idea. And they went that way a little more with uh, Robert Patrick in the second one, where he's a little more of a normal-looking guy, but Mm -hmm. he's super menacing because of what he can do. Right. Yeah, so they originally called Arnold in for Kyle Reese. He ended up playing the Terminator. And then, apparently, they uh, pitched the movie to Sylvester Stallone and Mel Gibson to play the Terminator, and both of them turned it down. Mm. And uh, there's, of course, the classic story of... Uh, some of the producers suggesting O.J. Simpson as the Terminator and James Cameron turned them down saying that he felt O.J. Simpson wouldn't be believable right. as a killer. Right, right. That's like a classic anecdote. It's like anecdote. a classic. oh yeah. Yeah, at this point.
2: Um, Millsy, what is
1: your favorite part of this movie? Um, probably just the tech noir club.
0: Mm, okay.
1: I Just the, the club in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that like... 80s neon, Yeah, the fact that there would be a club called Technor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to lie. I've looked into how expensive it would be to get some custom, uh, what do you call them? Um,
2: like the neon signs?
1: Neon sign, yeah. I have 100% in my spare time looked to see how expensive it would be to get a custom neon sign that just says Technor oh and like bright boy. pink to hang on my wall for ambiance. Because I think that would be fucking awesome to have.
2: I'm... Writing that down, future milsey gift.
1: Oh boy, nothing would make me happier make
2: you, in that exact font and everything.
1: Uh, oh yeah, it's not going to be cheap though, but hey, um, you know, another thing for the, <laughs> the lottery wish list. <laughs> but yeah, no, I in general I do think that that scene is my favorite part because, you know, it's the first meeting of everything it's where everything comes to a head and the plot really gets going Mm -hmm. like the build-up with uh you know the different Sarah Connors being murdered and yeah you can kind of see the writing on the wall but I just love it's like Arnold reveals himself and then Kyle reveals himself and it's a shootout nobody knows what's going on and it's just the first time we see the two of them you know fighting each other and yeah because it's like that's probably my favorite part
2: yeah a different movie it could almost get if like Arnold doesn't show up they could drag out like the her being afraid of Reese longer. Mhm. But that seems perfect because everything like you said comes to a head. Yeah. Arnold's got that ridiculous outfit.
3: <laughs> Pulls out yeah.
2: the Uzi, which you know if it's a movie in the 80s, Millsy it's going to have an Uzi.
1: So, of course. What about you? What's your favorite part?
2: Um, I was going to say for me it's like a, a toss up between that and then there's something like so haunting about like the the uh, police department shootout, you know. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. But like this time watch watch this time watching it I would say I'd probably say technoir it was it was two things that stuck out to me this was like how much I enjoyed the technoir part especially um just like some of the just the way like uh Schwarzenegger moves like some of the moves he does it's mm-hmm. just like it's just like so like fun to watch him in this movie like kind of just tearing it up yeah and then that stood out to me, and then I kind of forgot, but like one of the scariest parts of this movie for me, and I remember this when I was a kid. It's not even Arnold, it's one of Reese's flashbacks where that like infiltrator, other terminator, like breaks yeah. in, and then it's like stalking down that hallway and it's in the shadows, but the red eyes are showing.
1: That's a cool ass uh, shot,
2: Milsey. It is, it's two seconds, but like that is so scary it even reminds me same thing like in the fog how the uh dead pirates yeah. have the red eyes yeah like that's just like that that that's like a guttural thing for me so seeing it i just forgot it was even in this and as soon as it happened i was like oh yeah that's always like like chilled me to the bone and it, it it's two seconds
1: yeah that's a scene i always forget too it's great though um i feel like that is a great visual and the uh, exoskeleton or the endoskeleton rising out of the flames at the end like the fire reflecting on yeah. the chrome mm-hmm. that's another like incredible visual
2: yeah it really is I mean between the tech noir is so good again the police department shootout is just wild to watch there's some great car chases mm-hmm. a couple different times I get, like kind of forgot about those too even like the final man just ha- having not seen stop motion like the looks still good, even though it's, you know, coming up on 40 years old. Mm-hmm. Nice little uh part of it I kind of forgot about, too, is when Arnold gets hit by that truck and he comes out, like, with a limp. Yeah. And I, I was reading, like, that was a way for them to make the stop motion a little bit more believable.
1: You know, I didn't read that, but I was thinking as it was happening, like, this is probably a way that they yep. thought that they could hide mm-hmm. the jerkiness a, a little bit and explain it. it away. Exactly was, and it was like... And it's a brilliant idea. Uh, it's brilliant.
2: It's a thing that just wouldn't even happen anymore because of computers, but that's, like, a, a good, smart
1: workaround. Yeah, and, like, we see Arnold running around in the movie and, like, chasing them, and giving, them, giving him that limp is also a good way to turn him into, like... A slow-moving slasher movie villain yeah, at the end, and them totally. then not having to worry about making the robot look like it's fast with practical yeah, effects totally. when his skin is off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then what what is practical? there's even like the full-size robot. That it's
2: probably like from the waist up. Looks great. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a scary man. You know. Yeah. It's just this is a, cl- a classic. This is you know sci-fi is better because of movies like the Terminator.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, to what you were talking about before with uh, suing James Cameron Mm -hmm. and the Terminator Mm -hmm. movie. Right.
2: Uh, I don't know how he dodged a bullet from the makers of the Colossus,
1: but... (laughs) So the story here is that Harlan Ellison is obviously a very well-known science fiction writer, loved the movie, but considered suing because he believed it was partially based on a short story he'd written called Soldier. Mm -hmm. And the company, Orion, who produced the film... Decided to settle out of court For an undisclosed amount of money And then all future releases of the film Up until today uh, Have a credit for him Like, uh, I don't remember exactly what it said But like It's like in consideration
2: of the works
1: Of Harlan Ellison Something like that And Cameron was vehemently against this And Mm -hmm. disagreed with them doing it And Orion, like the, the guys at Orion Told him at the time Look, if you don't want us to settle then we won't, but you will have to pay the court fees out of your own pocket. Right. So, James Cameron, this being like his first movie, he kind of just had to go with it. Yeah. And um, they made him sign a gag order at the time, which some years ago he broke because he just says he doesn't care. Like it happened. And, <laughs> right, right. And, and he's got you know, enough, he he's gauge. got enough
2: avatar money to not care.
1: I also thought it was interesting. I like this is one of those movies where it's so popular and it's so big that. There's stuff like the O.J. Simpson story or the Harlan Ellison story that everybody has heard, and they're like anecdotes that are like very well worn. But something I never actually knew until reading about the movie for this show was that uh, Cameron's original script for the first Terminator had the liquid metal Terminator in it from the second movie. Mm. But um, you know, he considered for a time doing it with claymation, mm-hmm. which I'll admit I would love to see just because of the craft that would be involved in that. Right. But eventually opted not to go that path because A, he didn't think that the special effects were like at that point where they could do it convincingly yet. Mm -hmm. And B, this being, if you don't count Piranha two, which he was fired from and his name is taken off of, this is his first movie and he didn't feel like he had the clout to get the budget to make it work. So he like scaled the movie back way down Which I think is part of its brilliance. Like, yeah, this is not like a huge scale movie.
2: Like, same sentiment, like how much I'd love, like, in a different universe where there is a liquid metal terminator in this one. Mm -hmm. You know, it worked out fine because it looks so damn
1: good in the sequel. Yeah. And that story is so solid that, you know, there's nothing lost there. And it feels like Cameron was like testing the waters, like, knew he wanted to do that liquid metal Terminator idea and was like testing the waters, no pun intended, with uh, the Abyss and like Mm. the uh, water tentacle. Mm -hmm. Not too long ago, I rewatched Terminator 2 for like the umpteenth time. And I can say that while it does look a little fake, that liquid metal Terminator still holds up incredibly well i mean these days
2: i'd be hard pressed to know like even like which scene could like quote unquote look bad because every time i watch it i'm still like blown away at how how convincing it still looks
1: yeah it still looks great yeah something interesting this time like again i've watched the first terminator so many times but never really thought about it uh In the opening credits, it lists James Cameron and Galen Hurd as writers. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking to myself, like, I know Galen Hurd's a producer, but I didn't know she was a writer. So I looked at her IMDb, and the only thing she has ever quote-unquote written is this first Terminator movie. And then she has credits for, like, all the subsequent Terminator stuff because it's, you know, when you create a franchise like this or you're involved in creating a franchise they then credit you with like mm. characters right, because right. you like originated it but then i read a quote from james cameron where he claims that uh galen heard suggested edicts but quote unquote did no actual writing at all <laughs> but as the producer I, I don't know she was able to give herself a writing credit or something i'm still like the same like
2: you know, his first real movie and she's yeah, there's, producing
1: like as If he wants to make it
2: happen, he had to have some conceits there, I guess.
1: Yeah, there's some weird stuff like uh Cameron has said that he sold the rights for the movie to Galen Heard for a dollar with the promise that she would produce it only if he directed it. Mm-hmm. Um, Just weird little things like that. Hmm. But uh That's they weird. went on. I believe Cameron and Galen Heard were married at one point. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure they were married for a while, subsequently divorced, and then James Cameron was married to uh, Linda Hamilton for a while, and they got divorced as well. Right. it's pretty wild. Yeah. Linda Hamilton, I don't know what all she had done before, but right before this movie, she was in Children of the Corn, the first one.
2: Oh, okay. I've never seen that
1: one. Yeah, it's not a favorite of mine, yeah. but she is one of the two leads. Mm, okay.
2: I think she's great in this. You
1: know? Yeah, she's, she's really good. Uh, here's a weird thing. How old do you think Sarah Connor is supposed to be in this movie? Like, if you had to guess, just based on her look or whatever other factors. 22, 23, 24? Yeah, I would have said, like, early to mid-20s. She's actually supposed to be... I have it written down here. She's supposed to be 18 in this film. Really? Yeah, which is solidified when, in Terminator 2, uh, Dr. Silberman, the psychiatrist says that she's 29 in one scene mm-hmm. and then it's also referenced elsewhere in t2 that john connor is 10 years old meaning that she had him when she was 19 which then adds credence to the fact that she was like 18 or 19 in this movie john connor is only 10 years old in the sequel uh, that's what uh like there's a scene apparently where i'm taking this all on you know good faith from the trivia page of imdb but uh, uh there's a scene where um the T1000 is like looking John Connor up in like the co- the police computer in his cop car mm-hmm. and like it comes up with his information and says that he's 10 years old on the screen from what I read. Huh. That's weird. Yeah. But I just thought it was like I never perceived Sarah Connor as being under 20 years old in this first movie. No, I mean there's nothing about her character that couldn't mean she's like just out of high school.
2: She just doesn't. Yeah. She doesn't look that young. Mm-hmm. I mean, like she just looks like in her early twenties. That's weird to me because this movie was eighty four. The sequel was what 92?
1: 91. 90, yeah, so. maybe ninety one, ninety two somewhere. Yeah, so
2: the math don't add up, anyways. For, just for her having a kid and just
1: Eddie Furlong's got to be fourteen or fifteen in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, whatever. Yeah, I thought that was a little weird. Yeah, a little bit for all time for me terminator will be outshined by t2 Mm -hmm. but it's almost like a treat because i'm so you know into terminator 2 and the style and the story and the effects and everything of that movie it's almost a treat because it's like i i forget a lot of the details of t1 until Mm -hmm. i sit down and rewatch it and then it's almost like a rediscovery or something because like this movie really does have a tone and a vibe that the second one abandons entirely oh totally and god that's like one of my favorite things about it that sets it apart. It yeah. feels like a down and dirty cheap like horror mm-hmm. movie from the 80s which it is. And it's just it's it's spawned a yeah. franchise that is on a level that it's like the first movie was never intended to be. Yeah, I mean when they're making that do they ever
2: do they ever expect the movies shows comics toys you know like the it's in mortal combat like you know stuff like that like
1: yeah i don't think so you never do but it's it's just amazing to see like this is the start of all of that yeah i mean based on what i read uh the producers didn't have a ton of faith in the movie and um, it only cost $6.4 to make, which is con- it's crazy considering some of the special effects in it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's obviously not 100% realistic looking, but that Arnold head bust for the scene where he's like taking his eye out. Yeah. Looks incredible. Yeah. For 1984. Uh, yeah. Hands down. Yeah. So $6.4 million budget and made $78.3 in the box okay. office in 1984, that's which ain't too shabby. No, that's huge. So... I think, like, you touched on already, but it's totally true, and
2: props to Cameron, because he did it twice, but, you know, Alien and Aliens, and then T1 and T2, like, those are like the perfect sequels, because when you want something slightly different, but in th- in that same world, there you go,
1: you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know that the Avatar movie and its upcoming sequels are pretty divisive between people, and a lot of people like to shit on them, mm-hmm. uh, but... Honestly, something I'm very curious about Because Cameron has a history of doing this And admittedly yeah. it was a long time ago right. That he used to do this But I'm very interested to see mm-hmm. What kind of jump and different qualities The second one has from the first Yeah. And for the record, Triple Threat Theater As a unit is very
2: much pro-Avatar Don't at us My heart goes out to you, Dexberger well,
1: My heart goes out to you, Miller <laughs> So... Love Terminator, like I said, it will it will always be outshadowed by T2 for me, but uh, that doesn't mean I love it any less. Mm-hmm. Hear, hear. All right, anything else about uh, T1, no. or shall we move on to our third and final film? I think we've covered it. All right. Finally, we have Ex Machina from 2015.
0: So, do you know what the Turing test is? Yeah. I know what the Turing test is. It's when a human interacts with a computer. And if the human doesn't know they're interacting with a computer, the test is passed. And what does the past tell us? That the computer has artificial intelligence. Are you building an AI? I've already built one. And over the next few days, you're going to be the human component in the Turing test. Holy shit. Yeah, that's right, Caleb. You got it. Because if that test is passed, you are dead center of the greatest scientific event in the history of man. If you've created a conscious machine, it's not the history of man. That's
1: the history of gods. I had a memory of feeling like I liked it less than everybody else, because I feel like this movie is one of those ones that came out and, like, you know not everybody saw it but the people who did seemed to all really like it yeah and i was kind of like a little middle of the road on it and ho hum and like this seems like a movie i should love but i don't for whatever reason okay and so this is only my second time watching it i rewatch it this time and i go back and i read my letterboxd review from the time which In the review, I say basically the same thing I just said, which is like, I don't know what it is, but it just didn't connect with me, and I didn't like it, and I feel kind of ho-hum, and it's not that I hate it, it's just I'm not, like, enthusiastic about it, and the ending left me wanting a little, and five years removed, I, I can't. Wrap my head around that opinion anymore? <laughs> oh, because I really liked this movie this time oh. around. Like I connected with it on a whole different level than I ever did before. And I mean, that's only my second time seeing it. Yeah. Like, based on that one viewing, I knew that I was like meh on this movie. And uh-huh. even reading that review, like that I wrote, right? I, I, I don't understand. That's because <laughs> I think this movie's awesome. That's funny. Um, yeah. Milzy, this is episode
2: thirty-seven this might be the toughest one for me. Cause I love all three of these movies.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Oh uh, well, I'm glad. Something's got to get, gotta get burned. <laughs> I remember you mentioning that, like you were kind of humdrum about this, which was like surprising to me, but it's like, Hey, it's one of those things. I mean, it'll all come out in the wash anyways. Um, so it's exciting to hear that you, you know, second viewing did it for you. Cause like, mm-hmm. man, this, there's a lot to this movie that, um, I find this movie unsettling throughout, but like in a good way, like as a fascinating piece of film, you know, mm-hmm. um, but like from the get go. It's like the what the human characters go through together and like even the uh, the main character, uh, Caleb Domhnall Gleeson, mm-hmm. who I love. I love the whole cast in this There's only really th- three main characters four technically. Yep. Like I think it's like, the casting is perfect. They play off each other so amazing, and I just find myself like this movie. Like in an odd way, kind of like gets under my skin, mm-hmm. just like in a way that's like it's terrifying. Like just the the thought of it, mm-hmm. and even like how how ultimately how the the robot character is, but also like how the humans are themselves into each other. It's just oh, now that I've seen it, like I said, there's probably. like like at least three times, three times or two and a half perhaps, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I find this this movie like blows me away, man. It
1: Really does. My only assumption is that like I didn't fully grasp the meaning in the end or something the mm-hmm. first time, or I don't know. I I would like to believe I wasn't confused by the intentions of Oscar Isaac's character and. Ava the robot, that's yep. the only thing I can think of, though, because I remember just feeling like unfulfilled, like the ending mm. wasn't a good ending or something, but this time around I com- I com- I'm i completely turned around oh, on it. nice, because I love the ending. Yeah. As like a... It's like, I wonder if the first time I was looking at it in more black and white terms of like, okay, is this robot evil or... Is it good because you know she's playing it up like she likes Domhnall Gleeson, which is then revealed to be like the whole point of the, mm-hmm. um, the test in the first place is to see if she would like use Domhnall Gleeson and like play with his right. emotions, which is fascinating and a great reveal when Oscar Isaac oh, lays all time. that out right there at the end. Big time. But then like, I I don't know if like the first time I watched it, her leaving Domhnall Gleeson behind confused me or something, but like it. Totally makes sense to me now mm-hmm. in, in that, like, she's not good or evil. Like, yeah. yes, she kills her creator, mm-hmm. but that's more so because he was, like, keeping her captive and she wanted right. out. It's not like she's going to go out into the world and continue murdering people. Like, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe she will, but it's like that was not her main goal all along. And the the thing is that final shot of the movie where she goes to just like a busy intersection to people watch. Yeah. Like, it feels like that was her main goal, just to be able to go and like yeah. experience the world. And like in the process of getting to the point where she could do that, she had to, you know, make mm-hmm. some sacrifices, which was right killing someone. The the one yeah. thing that I guess I don't fully comprehend, not that it is like a flaw with the movie or anything, is why she leaves Dominal Gleeson behind. Mm-hmm. and, like, kind of traps him there. And I, I can justify it by saying, like, well, he's the only other one who knows about her, so, right. you know, if if she doesn't have to worry about him, then she can just go about her business. Yeah. I don't know if she would view him as some kind of threat, potentially, but, I mean, if he's found out that she was lying to him the whole time, then he could turn on her, but...
2: Yeah, I think um, I like that it's not explained any more than it is, and it's all... It, there's a nice bit where... He's locked in the room. He's watching her. And then it doesn't even show you. She like glances in his direction, but you don't even see it from his point of view. Mm-hmm. It's just like quickly off screen. And that's like the only bit of like attention she might have paid him before she leaves.
1: Yeah. After saying like, stay here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so it's like she does even... not acknowledge him at all. Cause I was waiting for that too when she gets in the elevator. But it's like. Well, it only makes sense because she was using him and mm-hmm. she's like, it's not like, you know, uh, Skynet in right. Terminator is like, they're evil. They want to wipe out the human race. Mm-hmm. She's more uh, in the camp of Colossus where Colossus doesn't want to kill people. Right. She she more so just wants to be let alone mm-hmm. or yeah left alone. Colossus wants to like, you know protect people by any means necessary whether they like it or not but it's like more ambivalent towards humanity and specific humans yeah and it's like it's a cold calculating computerized
2: way of being where
1: yeah she she, got what she wanted she doesn't need him anymore (laughs) she's you know he was there you know he was a means to an end she doesn't feel vindictive towards him but the possibility that you know knowing human emotions and if she reveals to him that she really doesn't care about him, then he could turn on her and become a problem. So, right.
2: Like a lesser movie would have them like have one final talk through the glass, you know, or something like yeah. that where, no, this is just, you know, she has a plan. You're part of it and she's executing, you know, something I noticed this time around. That I don't think I noticed before is, you know, like when he's going to have the sessions with her and it's like Ava session one or whatever. Mm-hmm. and it goes all the way up to all those sessions and then the last one they do like it's like Ava session 7 but it's yeah. like uh Nathan's already dead and like everything's already happening so it's like this it's not like the movie's not like showing the sessions of him testing her it's like this the per. it's like her him. testing them which is like awesome i was like oh. yeah
1: i did not notice that before i don't think and i loved it i was not 100 percent sure why that happened either and then i did read that opinion online somebody threw that out there it's oh, like well perfect. yeah yeah because i was like that's... what's the session and i was like oh
2: damn i was like she's just you know she's been playing the long con this entire time like mm-hmm. telling the truth even that yes nathan is can't be trusted and Every character is manipulative in their own way. Yeah. And like Nathan's ego is what gets him killed because he takes advantage of Caleb, you know, Donald Gleason, without telling him the whole story, which is like a great scene that happens so quickly where he just tells him like, oh, yeah, like you're not here because you're a great programmer. Like you're a sucker.
1: Yeah. It's almost like his uh, villain monologue, like laying Mm -hmm. out his whole plan. Oh, totally. When he has the the hero captive or something. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, then it's like, well, uh Caleb kind of fucked everybody because uh he like went ahead with his plan beforehand. And then yep. kind of, like expected that Oscar Isaac was watching him, Nathan. Mm-hmm. So he actually like did his plan and then told his plan so that uh, Nathan wouldn't know he had already done it. So right. Like, him manipulating somebody also, it's like the two of them fucked each other.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and she just like her plan went exactly how she needed it to.
1: Yeah. Because she's a cool calculating. Yeah. Robot. Murder
2: bot, you know? Yeah. And this, this, uh, this is one of those movies where like the little bits of violence are so, are so like spine tingling because it's like not overly dramatic you know like when nathan gets stabbed it's like it happens so easily and it's like almost calm you know and it's yeah like, like
1: she doesn't even stab him in the back he just like backs yeah. into her yeah and it just like goes in like effort effortlessly and then again
2: in the front it's just like all right this is happening like it's over already like it's not it's not your yeah. normal like murder death kill scene from a movie mm-hmm. you know it's just like it's so like unnerving. Like the entire like as soon as Caleb shows up to the house in the beginning, like it's just it's very unnerving to me because I just I almost like immediately picture myself in that situation where you're like, Oh, you're at your, you know, trillionaire boss's house that is a recluse and you don't even know what you're doing here, and he's kind of intimidating and you know, just the whole thing. And then your mind's blown
1: by the science, and then Yeah, I mean the movie plays, like, games with the audience in the same way that the characters in the movie are playing games with one another, and that it's made out, like, to any average viewer that Nathan is the villain. hmm Totally. And so, yeah, it's like the same exact game being played between the characters as it is being played with the audience, which is right. kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. It's not like we are objective viewers from the outside. Like, the viewer is kind of part of the... Intrigue of the movie, Mm -hmm. like you're kind of interesting.
2: Like I said, like feel like you're like right, right along
1: for the ride.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: It's and there's no denying like how good this movie looks and sounds. And then when Mm -hmm. you see, I think the I don't know if the overall budget or just the CGI budget was super low, like fifteen million or something. What I
1: read was that the whole budget of the movie was fifteen. Like, and
2: when you see this in
1: Malesy that the
2: the CGI in this looks so good. She yep. looks so convincing That's just like I, it, it, That blows my mind It's almost like Back to the Terminator How they made that For pennies Back in 84
1: mm-hmm. you know? Well yeah Alex Garland Specifically kept the budget On this movie low So that he could re- get, He could retain Control of it Because mm-hmm. you know The more money That other people Are spending on it The more input They're going to want to have And he just wanted To make his own movie So right. he specifically Kept no. the budget low And they didn't need More than they had No Uh I mean, the thing that's fascinating is that uh, this movie won the Oscar for Best Visual Effects over the Revenant, Mad Max, Fury Road, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. I
2: I get that. It looks that good. It really does. And especially, I feel like, you know, like the big blockbusters where, you know, probably like dozens of shots with VFX and characters and everything, but this... Like has to be so convincing because it's a Mm -hmm. it's it's a character in the movie that you see all the time. The movement and everything looks so solid. That's like that must be what the consideration is because yes, it looks great, but so do the other ones. But this is like this has to be so convincing.
1: Yeah, it's like there's a ton of other movies. Like I mean, Mad Max Fury Road looks fucking amazing, and so does The Force Awakens. But it's like those kind of movies are a little more of like a dime a dozen. Whereas Mm -hmm. this is a movie that you know, it requires the special effects for this, like, smaller story that it's telling. Yeah. And, and, yeah, I think kind of what you're saying, like, the importance of the effects to this little story versus, uh-huh. like, yes, obviously there's, like, tons of aliens and lasers and crazy shit in those other movies, but it's, like, right. what this one aims to achieve and achieves with such minor means is pretty incredible.
2: Yeah, and they could they could have, like, easily gone like a different route that probably would have been easier for everyone involved you know they could just had her they could like painted lines on her skin that looks like segments like something yeah much much easier than having whole portions of her body are translucent like that's just throwing that in there and then to think like oh that this movie cost a hundred million dollars for sure and then you hear it's 15 Mm -hmm. it's just blows my mind
1: well i mean it's wild to me i i don't 100% 100% comprehend how the special effects for this movie were done. But something that I read that I was very surprised by, because I would have just assumed that they like mo capped this, mm-hmm. but uh, they shot the film live action fully with uh, Alicia Vikander. Like they're on set. She's not wearing like a green bodysuit. She's not wearing any of those like little markers that they can track. Uh, they did not use green screens at all. Really, they filmed all the scenes with her, and then they filmed the backgrounds with nobody in the frame from uh-huh. the same angles and Then they just went in and from what I read, again, I don't fully comprehend this, but it's said that they they rotoscoped her human body parts, like her feet, her hands, and her head uh-huh, and then they erased the other parts of her body and put in those like background shots so you can see through her, and then quote unquote digitally painted. Wow, the robot body onto it, which I imagine is also a form of rotoscoping, but like that is not how most movies are made these days. No, I like, I want to, I got to see like a, the making of, cause I would just want to see how that
2: even works. I don't even comprehend it.
1: Yeah. Same here. Like I understand the concept of rotoscoping. Sure. Sure. And I can understand how they would do that with a computer, but you'd think it would be so much harder than right. to just mocap something. But I guess, I guess that's pretty expensive. Because you have to use one of the few facilities that do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's like all these different cameras and and, like camera angles involved to capture all of the motion. And I actually just recently watched an episode of uh, Mythbusters where they were testing to see if there was any legitimacy to the insult you throw like a girl to see if like men and women because of physiology or something through differently like baseball pitch style Mm -hmm. and uh since uh both adam and jamie from the show used to work at lucasfilm they called in a favor and got to go use the mocap studio at lucasfilm and so in the episode they explained a little about how it works and like that's gotta be where they saved a lot of budget for this is not having to rent out one of those mocap studios and do everything Mm -hmm. there and like all that processing. Damn. But it just feels like the time and effort it would take to, at least from my concept of what rotoscoping is, do that with all the scenes of Ava in this movie. Like, yeah, it's, it's hard to fathom, but yeah, I, I'm going to have to get a copy of this on Blu-ray as well. And, uh, check out some special features because I'm super curious now.
2: Yeah. I mean, I just watched it on Netflix or whatever. So it's like, this just needs to be owned anyways. um, It's awesome when you see her, like, get up and move, and she's, like, it's fluid, but very robotic still, you know? So they do a great job of, like, animating her as a robot. Like, she's got the human mannerisms, but there's still not even a clunkiness, but just a very, like, uh, exacting way of, like, she turns and moves and everything. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that's aided by being that part being generated, computer generated, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's all the more reason to see how they did it, because it just looks
1: so good. I forgot to look this up, but I'm pretty sure I heard it before. Do you know if I'm correct in saying that uh, the comic artist Jock helped design the look of Ava in the movie? Oh, I'm not familiar with that part, no. I'm pretty sure I've read that somewhere before, but huh. uh, I may be mistaken. But if so, that's even cool. I was thinking about that as I was watching the movie and forgot to look it up.
2: But... Yeah, no, it's a great look. I mean, it's cool as hell.
1: Yeah. So like Alicia Vikander, I think this was the first time I'd ever really heard of her. And then I was thinking to myself like, she's probably done like a ton of things I've seen since. Not really. She's consistently been working, but you know she's in the Man from Uncle, and she was in that terrible recent Tomb Raider movie. Oh, see, I didn't see that, but she's in the the really bad Jason Bourne movie, and
2: I remember her popping up in that
1: after this. Mm -hmm. So I've only seen her like in two things personally. But, um, one thing I read that's kind of interesting is that uh before her they were considering uh, Felicity Jones, who was Jen Erso in Rogue one i I could see that too, yeah, exactly yeah, which also would have been kind of cool, but yeah, I like her. she's a great actress, so mm-hmm. and uh, the location that they filmed at, like in that beautiful locale with like the uh waterfalls and mountains, and I'm pretty sure I saw some glaciers in there there was um, yeah, there was that one scene they go for a hike or whatever. They filmed that at a hotel uh, in Norway, which you can actually go stay at and would be fucking amazing to do it. And I learned that because, uh, like, a couple of newsletters ago, uh, Warren Ellis talked in his newsletter about how he stayed there. Mm. And he was actually, he stayed in one of the rooms that they used in the movie. I forget which one, but... That's cool. Yeah, I imagine that that's got to be expensive, but also a really badass place to spend, like, a vacation yeah, totally.
2: It's it's beautiful. Like this movie is beautiful. The effects, locations, everything. It looks amazing. Mm-hmm. It Really does. Like it's just like gut wrenching. This movie is just like oh, this one does like a number on me because it's like it feels like this is so far away, but potentially so close as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I read that Alex Garland had a uh, a phrase that he would use to describe when the movie takes place, where he would say it's like. 10 minutes in the future is Mm. when the movie takes place. (laughs) Yeah. And his reasoning for that was um, if Google or Amazon or one of these companies announced Mm -hmm. tomorrow that they had created like the real world version of Ava, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: like people would be surprised, but not that surprised. No, And (laughs) so that's, that was like the way he described it as being 10 minutes in the future, which I I thought was That's great. I mean, that makes total sense. I mean, to think people aren't working on something like this, I mean, it's got to be happening. So. Oh, I'm sure someone is somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, those Japanese. Oh, yeah, for sure. They're always on top of these kind of things. Always.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just I've, it's another movie. I feel like we go on and on about all three of them because this one's just, it feels like it's just came out even though it's already six years old. Yeah. You know, but. um.
1: Yeah, this came out to put it into perspective because like me, you're, you know, very familiar with like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. This movie came out the same time – it was in theaters the same time as uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. Oh, wow. Which, because there have been so many Marvel movies since, feels like forever ago. Yeah. Wow.
2: It does put it in perspective.
1: Yeah. Something that's interesting thinking about all three of these movies, like in conjunction with one another, I believe this is the longest one. This one's like close to two hours. I think Terminator is relatively short, and uh, as I said earlier, I believe Colossus: The Forbidden Project is about an hour and forty minutes. It is, yeah. None of these movies like waste any time. No, like this one over the other two. Well, I mean, Colossus is a little bit of this as well, but uh, this one's like pretty contemplative and a little more "quote unquote" artistically done. Oh, yeah. But yep. it's like you're constantly getting information, and even if you don't realize it at the moment, think like things are important that you're seeing that are going to come back later. And like Terminator, you know, they run into uh, each other at Technoir, and then it's like chase scene that ends in them being in the police station, which is a big shootout. And then there's like just enough of a break for a sex scene in the building of some pipe bombs and it's straight to the end of the film. Like mm-hmm. that movie is so efficient in its use of time and just does not stop moving. Right. And Colossus the Forbin project, like I said, like I'm watching the movie and kind of like you said, all of a sudden the movie ends and it's like, holy shit, I didn't see that ending coming. Like you're in it and expecting there to be more. Um, all three of these movies, <clears throat> independent of the fact that they are, you know, thematically similar in some ways. Are all like very efficient with their time, yeah, and don't overstay their welcome. No, I mean this like the perf-
2: a perfect opening for this is like this shows Caleb win that uh, contest, mm-hmm. and then he's he's at he's in the helicopter. You know, it's happening yeah.
1: immediately, which is mm-hmm. what how it should happen. Which I think also helped them with budget that they pretty much had just yeah. like one location. Which is, which is
2: perfect. I mean, because, you know, he fills in the blanks about his background, which makes him the perfect candidate for this test anyways, mm-hmm. you know, and that's like, that's revealed in the best way rather than like showing him his his life back home, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. There's just like this This script is
1: so solid that it's just, and it's executed so well. Mm-hmm. I just love it. Yeah, I can now say that I agree. Awesome. I I had a blast with this movie this time around. Yeah, man. It's like, this one's a gut punch for sure. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Because it's like, you can't help it, even though it's it's, it's wild when you're watching because, you know, some of the things like Nathan does and Caleb does, like, if that was you, you wouldn't do it the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're like, like you said, like they're screwing each other over, like without knowing it or not. Mm -hmm. And then... Just for the way for it to end, like you almost—it's like it's like who are you even rooting for in the end? (laughs) Yeah, because like he doesn't necessarily deserve to get left behind. No, but like you know, she doesn't also you know if she if this is true artificial intelligence and then is like is she alive? It 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 you know it raises that question. So you know, is she? You know, would someone say she isn't a victim or is she? So she deserves to get out,
1: you know? Nobody's 100% in the right in this scenario. Not at all. Like we said, like everybody's kind of fucking each other over. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a, I did read like one little thing that, and I totally saw
2: it when, when I'm watching the movie. There's a scene where Caleb's in the room, in her room. And it's like, it's a shot from like behind him. So you see him sitting on like the little chair. And then the room is kind of like a horseshoe shape around where he's sitting. Mm -hmm. And like Ava's kind of like, she's kind of like walking back and forth and she's kind of like circling him a little. And something I read online was saying how like, she's like a tiger in the cage right there. And I was like, (laughs) oh, I totally see that. I like adds so much to it. Like she's plodding and,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: you know, that's That's like, that's just terrifying
1: to me. Oh. And there's that fear of robots yeah, raising yeah. its head there again. It, there
2: it is, you know. Some who love a movie and then just be terrified
1: by it. Just <laughs> the thought of it. It's a good thing you don't live 10 minutes in the future. Yeah, tell me about You'd it. You'd be so torn. <laughs> yeah. Because some of those robots would probably be adorable. But Yeah, but you can't trust them, Millsy. I mean, yeah.
2: once they start showing them doing backflips for fun, it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to get, uh, you know, Atlas or whatever. Backflip me through my windshield in my car because I was speeding. Because <laughs> that's that could be the future.
1: It's the beginning of Ed Two Hundred Nine, <laughs> right? All right. Anything else about Ex Machina?
2: I I feel like we could just keep going on all night, but yeah, I feel like we've covered it.
1: Let's uh let's look at some posters. Oh please. So I'm more familiar with the uh, the cover art for the Shout Factory edition of uh, Colossus the Forbidden Project. Oh. Okay. Which is not this, but, you know, I'll take your word for it that this is, I mean, with some of these older movies, we've said it before, we don't really know what is the official poster or not. But.
2: Right. Part of it, I noticed, especially with this one, is this is, like, the official image on IMDb, as well as the website where I get all the posters from, so mm-hmm.
1: that's why I went with this one. Weird thing is, like, that main figure in the center of this poster, is that the Russian that's scientist? The, that's the Russian guy that gets killed. Doesn't even that's make a sense. weird choice, because he's not in the
2: movie a lot. Well, no, yeah, it's like... If you looked at just this imagery, you're saying, like, what is this movie about?
1: Yeah, seriously. There's, like, no shots of a computer or anything. I mean, you have the logo for Colossus in the background, but you wouldn't know what that means. Yeah. This definitely looks like some kind of spy thriller because you've got, like, guy in, like, a long coat acting like he's being shot at or something. Mm -hmm. There's, like, some people running on one side. There's a bunch of soldiers.
2: What's that, a firing squad?
1: Yeah, a firing squad when they kill the... Mm-hmm. The two scientists who tried to sabotage the computer. There's a helicopter, which, yeah, there's a helicopter in the movie, but did that need to be on the poster? And then uh, a shot of, like, attractive guy and girl in bed together. It, it reads like a James Bond movie or something totally. like that. Which, is that what they're
2: going for? Maybe,
1: who knows? And really, the title doesn't tell you anything. Colossus, the 4B no. Project. I mean, this this is rough.
2: I mean, the art's not great, and then you have no idea what you're looking at. Yeah, it makes sense it only makes sense after you watch it. And then you're still like, this is what you went with,
1: you know? Yeah, it's not a good indicator of what the movie is. Yeah, it I'm... makes it seem like there's going to be a lot of like foot chases and shootouts.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and totally. just
1: man, I was commenting to you before, but just uh, the fact that the quote that they choose to highlight at the top is a shocker. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. like <clears throat> It's just fascinating. So
2: goofy. It's just goofy.
1: There's an awful lot of text and quotes up at the yeah, top. Oh my much. god, one of them says razzle dazzle. Ooh. Well, a sizzler. Like. Builds to high tension. Razzle dazzle. Smooth suspense. Full-out entertainment. Wildly imaginative. The best I've seen in a long time. Practically perfect. Mm. says Vincent Canby of the New York Times. And suspense is intense. Like
2: what does that even mean? Suspense <laughs> I is don't intense. Know. Well, p- okay. Synonyms, sure. I might like it a little more just because
1: it's got Razzle Dazzle in it, Mills. That is funny that somebody actually described this movie of all things as Razzle Dazzle.
2: This poster just needs to be Colossus the Forbin Project in big letters, and then it's like a slight upshot of the main like ticker message thing and just says like acknowledge on it or something. Ominous
1: Yeah, theory. I'm thinking like uh, you know, like you said, an upshot of that original like, print that readout thing with, like, mm-hmm. red letters saying something on it. And then in the foreground, you know, the back of Forbin and, like, maybe a scientist on either side of him kind of, like, leaning their hands on the console and, like, looking up at the sign or something. Yeah. Like a kind of intense upshot or something like that. Totally. Well, now we know what our poster for this oh, episode Yeah. That was easy. <laughs> uh, next up is Terminator. This is like a classic at this point. I mean, it's not necessarily the best design in the world, but I mean, it just—it's—it's
2: it's got all it needs to needs to have. It's—it's it's even weird that it's got like the lettering in his eye, just to be like Johnny Robot Eye here. But <laughs> yeah, um, something I forgot to mention in when we were talking about it, which I don't—I forgot too—is like you know halfway through the movie, Schwarzenegger's eyebrows get burned off, and I guess half of his hair is burned off too. Because he yeah. goes to like, you know, spike. He hunt. has
1: like, you know, like kind of wavy combed hair in the beginning. And then all of a sudden it's just like weird, I don't know, short crop. Yeah. And no
2: eyebrows. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, this, like you said, this is a classic. I mean, this could, in any other circumstances, this is like B-movie central VHS box cover.
1: Yeah. If the Terminator wasn't like a household name that everybody knows, like this would be just look right on, like, some catalog release from Code Red or Blue Underground or mm-hmm. Vinegar Syndrome or something. This one's awfully wordy, too. Yeah, we don't need all that text on the side. Nah. I feel like it'd be better without it. Yeah, totally. In the year of darkness, 2029. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever read this, like, all the times I've looked at this no. poster. I don't know if I've Same ever here. read that. I've
2: never heard them ever refer to any part of the Terminator franchise as the year of darkness.
1: <laughs> the year of darkness, 2029? Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, just the image is cool with, you know, badass looking Arnold. Yeah, cool totally. lighting, mm-hmm. red lasers behind him. Yeah, for sure. Love the uh, title logo font. Yeah, I mean
2: it's 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 a classic for a reason.
1: Mm-hmm. And then Ex Machina, uh, nice and simple. Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, even for a newer, modern poster, it's a little too wordy. Doesn't need this line either. I don't think. What happens to me if I fail your test?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's something else that doesn't really make sense unless you've seen the movie. But yeah, for all intents and purposes, it's better than the year of in the Year of Darkness twenty twenty nine, and then a block of text. I right? Mean.
2: Yeah, totally. No, totally. But yeah, I mean, this is this is like kind of all you have to see. Like it's that that very like computer printout looking logo. Yeah, and then just her, this whole you know the see through exoskeleton.
1: It's just it's a movie about a female robot and the look on her face, you know, can we trust her? Yeah. Totally. That said it's not like that exciting of a design, but you know, could be Yeah. Just it's... like uh, there could be some photoshopped uh, Domino Gleeson and Oscar Isaac's faces on here so. Right. That's true. We're, we can be happy that that isn't the case. This fits the tone
2: of the movie, so it works for me. Yeah. All right, Milzy, break it down for the people.
1: Uh, I mean, partially just because it's classic And I love the image And I love Schwarzenegger I think the Terminator poster I might have to dock it a few points For all the unnecessary text Um, I'm going to give that one Four phase plasma pulse rifles Oh Uh, Ex Machina, pretty good poster Doesn't knock my socks off I'm going to give that one Three hidden cameras Placed by Oscar Isaac mm. Carry on and then Colossus the Forbidden Project, I mean, it's not the best art in the world, but, you know, it's still like a kind of old school painting. If it wasn't for this movie, I think it would could fit another movie better, and I'd be kind of fine with it. All that text at the top is a little bit unnecessary, so we're going to give this one two scientists shot in the head by a firing squad <laughs> at the <laughs> at the demand of the evil overlord computer. All right, All right. that'll do it. So, that's how that one's going to shake out. Very nice. Well done. So now I'm curious because uh, you really built up the um, you know, the competition here between Ugh. these three films. It's a tough emailsy. Really. Would you was... like me to go so you have a little more time to think or do you know uh, what you're going to do I'm, here?
2: I'm, I'm, I want to hear what you got. I'm, I'm locked in, but I want to hear yours. I'm excited.
1: Okay. I'm a fucking action movie guy. I grew up with Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's not T2, but it's going to be hard for many movies to beat the Terminator for me.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's just like sci-fi action i love michael bean i like linda hamilton i love arnold schwarzenegger it's got lance henriksen in there it's got a little cameo by my boy dick miller <laughs> i like the music i want a fucking technoir neon sign mm-hmm. uh we didn't even it's... touch on the music of the three movies enough but yeah music in this one's great yeah uh even you know in terminator 2 it's just another thing where they uh it's like they took the theme from the original and they like Perfected it a little more but it's a little Raw in the first one which I like And mm-hmm. There's just so much like uh, Generic synth chase music Like <laughs> Like when they're Being chased or whatever but I, mm-hmm. I Dig it it just gives it that vibe of like You know kind of cheesy 80s sci-fi low budget action Movie yeah yeah see so yeah, a Terminator Tops for me that's gonna be my buy Next up You know I feel like I've been a man on an island for a while with Colossus, the Forbin project, because I like it. I was even thinking that, like, on a second viewing, I wouldn't like it as much, but I still really enjoyed it. But, you know, I have to say that now that I've seen the light a little bit on Ex Machina, I do think it's hard to argue that Ex Machina is not the better movie. I mean, the craftsmanship is spectacular, and uh, I've obviously really come around on that ending, and it's got great performances. Uh, Oscar Isaac is great in it. I do like Domhnall Gleeson a lot. I think this is a standout performance for the few things I've seen Alicia Vikander in. So I think I'm going to borrow Ex Machina, and then, you know, I have no ill will at all towards Colossus the Forbin Project, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, I think that one is going to have to be the burn just... Just because something has to get burned. Yeah, something's got to go. And it's like, you know, it's a campy, fun movie, and I like the premise and everything, but I do think that there's like a quality level that the other two hit that uh, Colossus is more of like a fun oddity, and Ex Machina and Terminator are like really good, iconic movies. Yeah. So... I'm gonna buy Terminator, borrow Ex Machina, and burn Colossus: The Forbidden Project, which is not the way I would have thought I'd go. You know, before rewatching these movies,
2: I like it. I applaud you, Milzy. <laughs> well done. I'm very, I am very excited. You came around on Ex Machina for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, like my original review says, and you can go look at it on Letterbox. Like I even say, like, man, this is like sci-fi and good acting and looks good and everything. Like, it feels like a movie I should love, but I just don't. And it's like, mm-hmm. my instincts were correct. It just took, like, a little time and a reevaluation. And I mean, these things happen. Mm-hmm.
3: You know. mm-hmm.
2: I can change. Yeah, hey. Showing your growth. I like it.
1: <laughs> all right, here we go. Give it to me.
2: I love all three of these movies, Milsby. For the sake of the show, something's got to get burned, borrowed, and bought. But I would gladly purchase all three of these movies
1: the catapult is already cranked back something's got to go in it
2: Ooh. it's gotta go all the way <laughs> to the sun
1: it's gotta well
2: for for the same reasoning i'm going to burn colossus the forbin project mm-hmm. 100% enjoyable i mean just added to the lists of reasons why i adore this thing of ours that we even mm. started because it's I, I feel like under ze- almost zero circumstances would I have ever watched Colossus, the Forever project. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just one of those things, you know, calm, say it is for what it whatever, but that's just how it is with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because something's got to go and the other two movies are just that much stronger than that one. Mm-hmm. Colossus is going to go, but it's sad because it's so good. <laughs> it's a, it was such a surprise and a delight.
1: Yeah, I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah, it definitely doesn't deserve a torching, but no, for sure.
2: Um, so our next two, uh, similar in some ways, vastly different in others. Lots to love about both. I feel yes. like, th- I mean this this feels like an opinion that could change over time, back and forth forever. But just down down to the the buttery essence of my life, I feel like I would still buy terminator borrow ex machina yeah it's just the the as far as where i'm at now as just like a person and a fan of movies seeing things like terminator something i've seen so many times but just it's like uh what i love in movies now that i'm you know the the things that i enjoy with practical effects and you know older sci-fi like this that's just it it does it more for me still. And it just feels like a movie that I could watch it, when it really breaks down. Like, I know it's not so much a factor for you, but more for me, with actually buying and borrowing and burning, where mm. I could just still see myself watching Terminator more regularly, where like every few years I'll want to watch Ex Machina mm-hmm. and just remember like why, like, oh, you know, like that movie like gets right down to my. It gets me right in the heart every time because it ra the, the questions ex machina raises, you know, and the, the tough decisions that are made just will, will always affect me. But mm-hmm. as just like a fan of the movies, I kind of
1: like it's you know,
2: terminates right up there. So, yeah, we agreed. Look at that. Starting season four off with a bang,
1: with a bang. Good on you. Uh, yeah, I wasn't 100% sure how that would go because I didn't. I knew you liked Ex and I wasn't sure to mm-hmm. what extent. But it's hard to argue with a movie that's just such a good, entertaining, action, adventure, sci-fi, yeah. right. special effects, like, classic at this point.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's classic for a reason. Like, you see why it's a classic. You see what, why it spawned, what it did. Yeah. So, even though it's 40 years
1: old, coming up on you know. Yeah, All the characters do in Ex Machina is talk And Arnold only has like 12 lines In the Terminator <laughs> right, <I mean>. right. <laughs> But yeah well, Good stuff man cool. All right. I like it uh, That then brings us to the final part of the show Where we determine what we're going to watch next Episode
2: 38
1: Milzy. how many episodes Do we have 222 potential oh. themes right now 222 two, two. And here we go
2: Millsy. hmm Fifty-one.
1: Oh, an early one. Mm. Another early one, because this was a pretty early one too, I think. 51. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, I know you're looking forward to this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> do I even know what this middle one is?
1: Uh, I don't know if you do or not. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Well, theme for next episode is finders uh, keepers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay. Hey,
1: you know, I've come around. <laughs> right? We'll see if that's still the case after this. We you will. may go back around. Yeah, but...
2: you might have just knocked it back, but we'll
1: see. Yeah. Now, if that this... if that wasn't
2: vague enough for everybody, uh, you know,
1: get ready. <laughs> Yep, episode 38, Finders Keepers, uh, coming up in three short weeks, and uh, that ought to be a fascinating conversation. Mm -hmm. So, uh, think on that, Uh, throw out your guesses if you have them, Uh, hit up the Instagram and the old Tumblr, we don't say that enough, I feel. That is true. We're bad at the social media game. I'm good at watching movies, I'm bad at social media.
2: Yeah, Well, we're working on
1: it. Yeah.
2: We got merch coming.
1: <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> until next time, if you've seen the best, check out the rest. <laughs> I am Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxperger. Thanks for watching.